The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We greet you here in the nave of Marsh Chapel on this second Sunday after the Epiphany, but most especially on this Sunday when we commemorate the life and legacy of Boston University's most famous alumnus, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We greet you and encourage you to lend your voice to our celebration this morning here in the nave of Marsh Chapel. We are also grateful for the fact that this celebration resounds across New England on airwaves at WBUR 90.9 FM and around the globe on internet signals, streaming live at WBUR.org and on our podcast on the chapel website. We are grateful this morning for the ministry of the word being brought to us by the Reverend Dr. Walter Earl Fluker, Martin Luther King Jr. Professor of Ethical Leadership at the Boston University School of Theology. Grateful, too, for the presence of his wife, Dr. Sharon Fluker, a longtime friend and supporter of ours here at Marsh Chapel. Now let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. As the choir sings our Kyrie this morning, we are reminded that the dream that King had is not yet fulfilled, and that we ourselves are complicit in the brokenness of our world. We turn our minds and hearts to confession as the choir sings. Dearly beloved, as we remember our brokenness this morning, we are reminded also that if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, 
Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join us as we say together the psalm. First, the antiphon by the choir, and then together. Patiently for the Lord, who inclined to me and heard my cry. The Lord drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the mighty bog, set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. The Lord put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and be in awe, and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who make the Lord their trust who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. O Lord, my God, you have multiplied your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare to you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Lo, I come. In the roll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Lo, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O I have not hid your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and faithfulness from the great congregation. O Lord, do not withhold your mercy from me. Let your steadfast love and faithfulness ever preserve me. not join in the Gloria Patri. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 14, verse
verses 15 through 24. Glory to you, O Lord. One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to the slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. While we're in a contemplative mood, listen to this.
Memory believes before knowing remembers. Believes longer than recollects. Longer than knowing even wonders. William Faulkner, Light in August. To Dean Robert Hill, wherever you are, we feel you. <laughs> to all of the fine chapel assistants and staff of Marsh Chapel, to you, the Marsh Chapel congregation, our radio listeners, and especially to the faculty, students, and staff of Boston University and all of our friends, I'm indeed delighted to be here again on this special Sunday in which we celebrate the living legacy of Martin Luther King, Jr. Had he lived, he would have been 85 years old this past Wednesday. I have a topic. I'm never quite sure what topics mean for me because I am Baptist, <laughs> which means that I'm highly improvisational. It's more like jazz than classical music. But I'm going to stick to it. The welcome table, welcoming the unwelcome. Our gospel text is not part of the revised common lectionary. I decided to insert my own, a bit of improvisation. It's about a table conversation between Jesus and a rich, influential man of the cloth. Jesus had been invited not so much because the pleasure of his company was sincerely desired, but so that he could be watched by the critical and cynical eyes of his enemies. They wanted to see him break the rules in some word or act of religious and moral impropriety. In response to his host table blessing, Jesus relates the story of the great banquet, or we used to call it the great supper, which you've heard in the reading this morning. In the parable, a certain man prepared a huge feast and invited all the people who were on his regular guest list, his friends, the socialites, the fat cats, and the playmakers. But they all, for some reason or another, made paltry excuses and did not come. So when the servant returned and reported this to his master, the owner of the house became angry and ordered the servant to go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, then go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Just want you to note that the second and third invitations were different in respect to degree. Each was more expansive than the other. 
from the streets and alleys of the town to the rural roads and country lanes. The servants' orders were to compel them to come to the banquet. Welcoming the unwelcomed to the feast involved radical hospitality, and it still does. As we gather on this special Sunday, I'm switching, I'll come back, I promise. To honor our most famous alumnus, Martin Luther King Jr., I thought it appropriate to pause and reflect on the place of memory and its power to evoke presences. Ghosts, if you will, who beckon us, nudge us, and demand of us that we take up their quarrel with the foe. All around us and within us, we are surrounded by memories that seek habitation in our lives, in our speech and actions. It was Dean Howard Thurman who would often say from this pulpit, we died, but you who live must do a harder thing than dying is, for you must think, and ghost will drive you on. During the holidays, I was struck by the powerful symbol of the table. Of course I was. The times at the table with family, friends, and food were filled with moments of joy and of sadness, but precious memories nonetheless that I cherish because they helped me to believe. I had plenty of memories. There were memories of my mother busy in the small kitchen in Chicago preparing for the big meal of ham, turkey, and dressing, candied yams, greens, macaroni, and cheese, cakes, and pies. Ours was not the idyllic Christmas of John Boy on the Walton Farm or Beaver and Wally at the Cleaver dinner table. Rather, it was the gathering of my sisters, brother and brother-in-laws, uncles and aunts and cousins and friends who would drop by for good food and fellowship, accent on fellowship. Everybody was from Mississippi or one of those southern places from which people had come in search of the warmth of other sons. They had long memories of families gathering together at the table. It was a table where everyone was welcome and it really didn't matter whether you were related to the family circle of friends or not. If you showed up in my mama's house at the table, you got fed. We knew then about the meaning of the welcome table. It meant radical hospitality for the least of these. You know, I think we're forgetting or have forgotten that the welcome table is part of a great American tradition. Maybe once upon a time, and I speak as an African-American, we took it so seriously because we knew something about not being welcome. Not being welcomed in certain establishments, certain schools, certain neighborhoods, certain parties, around certain people, even certain churches and cemeteries. Not welcome. We knew what it meant to be unwelcome, so we worked hard at preparing a table that was big enough to welcome all. 
That's why the old enslaved Africans who had been relegated to the margins of anonymity and profanity would gather way down in their brush arbor meetings and while working in the fields, and they'd sing a song like Still Away, or they'd sing another song about the welcome table. I'm going to sit at the welcome table. Yes, I'm going to sit at the welcome table one of these days. Hallelujah. I'm going to sit at the welcome table. Sit at the welcome table one of these days. Yes, one of these days. I'm going to feast on milk and honey one of these days. All God's children are going to sit together one of these days. These black and unknown bards, as James Weldon Johnson called them, knew that while the welcome table was part of the great eschatological hope of African Americans, it was also very costly. On this King Memorial Sunday, I want us to remember people who paid the price for all of us to come to the table. There are so many heroes and sheroes whose memories visit us from the past 50 years. Both 1963 and 1964 were powerful moments which shaped the legal, moral, and spiritual landscape of the United States of America. Forever. I want to lift up the names of Mega Evans, Phil Evers, Phil Secretary, NAACP, murdered June 12, 1963. Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson, and Denise McNair, the four little girls who died in the bombing of 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham on September 15, 1963 and the three civil rights workers, students Michael Swerner, Andrew Goodman, and James E. Cheney, murdered June 21, 1964, and found two months later in an earthen dam outside of Philadelphia, Mississippi, all martyred in the struggle for justice in this country. They made possible the welcome table through radical acts of hospitality. Now they implore us to join them at the table. Longfellow, in his poem, Haunted Houses, says there are more guests at the table than host invited. The illuminated hall is thronged with quiet, inoffensive ghosts, as silent as pictures on the wall. In late November this past year, the Bay State Banner asked me to write an op-ed, some of which I share here, remembering 50 years. During this period, the nation was busy remembering the erudite and handsome John Fitzgerald Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States, who was assassinated 50 years ago. And although some were suspicious of his politics and cautious embrace of civil rights, in almost every African-American home of the 60s, his picture was on the wall alongside Jesus and Martin Luther King, Jr. His picture was there in commemoration, not so much for his brilliance and commitment to civil rights, 
but because of his absence. Although some felt he came kicking and screaming to the movement, he made room for us at the welcome table. So we treated him as family. Most Americans of that era had deep respect and abiding reverence for the office of president. I'm not sure about that now. The dangerous incivility and racist innuendos hurled at President Obama convinced me that though seasons have changed, still most Americans find it easier to revere our fallen heroes than to honor and believe in the possibility of the present ones. On August 28th of this year, my beloved wife and I joined the throng of thousands who returned to the Lincoln Memorial, this site of memory, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. While sitting there, I could not help but reflect on the progress we have made towards the realization of that dream, but also on how far we still must go if America is to become a great nation, as King so eloquently proclaimed. I was sitting there, quite frankly, trying to believe. While we sat there in the shadow of the great emancipator, there were signs and banners calling attention to George Zimmerman, Zimmerman and the verdict and the killing of Trayvon Martin, a 17-year-old teenager in Sanford, Florida, you remember. President Obama's remarks that Trayvon could have been me 35 years ago came as a source of encouragement for many mass protests of righteous indignation and cries for justice from citizens around the nation. On the other hand, many felt that he had inserted the proverbial race card into an already volatile situation of fractured race relations in this country. Some conservative pundits blame him for acting as the racist-in-chief, while some critics within the black community felt that he had said too little too late, that his statement was like pre-Sweden Kool-Aid, suggesting that it was palliative at best and failed to address the deep structural issues at stake for the poor and black and hopeless masses who needed his engaged and embodied leadership in this case and in others. One has to ask why this continued public harassment of President Barack Hussein Obama, which appears to be intensifying as Supreme Court rulings carefully and effectively began to dismantle the hard-fought gains of the Civil Rights Movement, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, affirmative action, in the year of the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s historic speech, Arsenio Hall would say it makes you go, hmm. Is it because there are some people in this country who are afraid of the welcome table? I'll pass over something that's important because I only get 20 minutes. But boy, it's good. Today, I would like to join these pictures on the wall and place another picture this morning on the walls here at BU. It is my colleague, 
Professor Kathy Dodd, Chair of the Faculty Council, who has made a commitment to expand the welcome table at Boston University. She is joined by the President and Provost in this commitment to diversity. Let us pray that in this year when we celebrate the memory and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., that we place more pictures on the wall. I wonder what it would take to produce a new generation of leaders who understand the power and the cost of radical hospitality and who are willing to build on the great vision of a beloved community. What might it mean this day to become servants of justice and truth in this place that is haunted by memories of Martin Luther King Jr., Howard Thurman, Barbara Jordan, Anna Howard Shaw, Walter Mulder, Samuel DeWitt Proctor, and so many others who, like ghosts, drive us on. King often quoted Frederick Douglass. Somewhere, he says, we must come to see that human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless effort and the persistent work of dedicated individuals who are willing to be co-workers with God. There it is, co-workers with God. There it is, an old-fashioned, unsophisticated theological assumption that has no empirical warrant and backing, maybe. But there it is. It got the job done in the 60s. I think it still will. Ours is a daunting challenge, and I close. But if we are truly committed to welcoming the unwelcome here at Boston University and elsewhere, we must join the long and hallowed chorus of brave women and men, boys and girls who have dared to make room for others at the table. King called these principled actors who were willing to risk life and limb for, through nonviolent social change, transform nonconformist. You know, parables can be tricky. That's why I started with it. The parable of the great banquet does not tell us how much work and how hard it is to welcome the unwelcome to expand the guest list and to restructure the room so that the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame can come in. Three little points. First, welcoming the unwelcome involves courage, my friends, the courage to change. According to Martin Luther King Jr., it begins with a transformation in consciousness, a revolution of values and priorities, he called it, it requires a readjustment of our worldviews. More than that, it requires a kind of revolutionary patience. The patience the psalmist speaks to when he says, wait upon the Lord, be of good courage, and God will strengthen your heart. Second, Welcoming the unwelcome will require a sense of justice, not just procedural justice, not simply rules 
and technicalities. But justice as fairness, a level playing field. If you're going to invite others to the table, we will need to change the menu, change the rules of etiquette, restructure the dining room, and change the seating arrangements. We will need to make room for folks at the table who do not look like us, talk like us, dress like us, love like us, and pray like us. It means ultimately that we must learn to share power. For the religious among us, it will require repentance, confession, and conversion. For some Christians, you know them, this will be especially hard. Finally, we must practice compassion for the least of these. Who are the least of these? They're the ones whom we do not see. whom we seldom even think about except when in our hurried pace we pass them on the street or see them behind bars or lying in their own blood on the evening news. One has to ask, how is it that in a nation of so much wealth and prosperity, we're witnessing more and more poverty, miseducation, mass incarceration of brown, black, and poor bodies, the left out and the left behind. Who are the least of these? They're your sisters and your brothers, locked in poverty and locked out of a future of hope and possibility. There we see the face of our brothers and sisters this Sunday, from whom we are estranged and find our own faces, maybe for the first time, we need not look far to see what is at stake in this call to radical hospitality. My friends, it is not enough to be gentle, civil, and progressive. These are fine personal attributes. But ultimately, we are called to put some skin in the game, to stand up and join the creative forces that call us to justice and peacemaking in this world. Leaders in this century are called to be more than charitable actors who respond to the needs of individuals alone. They must be willing to stand at the intersection where worlds collide and create communities of justice and compassion. Who dares to stand in the absent spaces left by King and so many others and suffer with strangers? Who dares to welcome the unwelcome to the table? And all the people of God say, Amen. Now's the time where we invite you to take your own personal posture of prayer. Please join me in singing uh, our call to prayer and then following a prayer by Dr. Howard Thurman.
precious God, fresh from the world with the smell of life upon us, we make an act of prayer in the silence of this place. Our minds are troubled because the anxieties of our hearts are deep and searching. We are stifled by the odor of death which envelops our earth, where in so many places brother fights against brother. The panic of fear, the torture of insecurity, the ache of hunger, all have fed and rekindled ancient hatreds and long forgotten memories of old struggles when the world was young and thy children were but dimly aware of thy presence. For all this we seek forgiveness. There is no one of us without guilt, and before thee we confess our sins. We are proud and arrogant. We are selfish and greedy. We have harbored in our hearts and minds much that makes for bitterness, hatred, and revenge. While we wait in thy presence, search our spirits, and grant to our minds the guidance and the wisdom that will teach us the way to take, without which there can be no peace and no confidence anywhere. Teach us how to put at the disposal of thy purposes of peace, the fruits of our industry, the products of our minds, the vast wealth of our land and the resources of our spirit. Grant unto us the courage to follow the illumination of this hour to the end that we shall not lead death to any man's door, but rather may we strengthen the hand of all in high places and in common tasks seek to build a friendly world of friendly men beneath a friendly sky. This is the simple desire of our hearts, which we share with thee in thanksgiving and confidence. And God's people recited the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from
peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the Nave of Marsh Chapel and encourage you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. If you could pass that book along to your neighbor as well, we would be most grateful. For if you haven't already picked up a copy, we hope you will pick up one up on your way out. The Marsh Chapel Spring Term Book is now available for your perusal with all of the semester's activities contained therein. Uh, we make a special note that beginning next week, our children's programming will be back here at Marsh Chapel. See Jamie Dingus or Jen Quigley for more about that. As the ushers wait upon us this morning, please meditate upon, precious Lord, take my hand. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
gracious and loving God, at the beginning of the semester, we place before you these gifts and our lives as together we dream of a better world. In and beyond the classroom, kindle our dreams and guide our actions for justice and truth and feasting at the common table. Nourish us with your welcoming love so that strangers become friends and we who are lost may be found. In the name of Jesus Christ, we give you thanks. Amen.
gonna sit at the welcome table. I'm gonna sit at the welcome table one of these days. I'm gonna sit at the welcome table. I'm gonna sit at the welcome table one of these days. Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make God's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. God grant you this day and forevermore peace.